Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. How many is ready for what God is going to do today? Amen. If you're not ready, tell your neighbor, get ready. Get ready. Get your mind set. God's going to do something amazing in this house. So for, uh, for this morning's lesson, I'm going to attempt to do my best. And you guys can be seated for a moment. I know you guys will stand up. We're going to read. We're going to get to the scripture text in a minute and all that. But I'm going to attempt to teach or I don't know what the Lord's going to do here. Preach. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm going to attempt to teach a part two of what was started last week. And we can glean from the actions of Jonathan. And I was even, as I mentioned last week, I was even a little unsure going into this week if I was even going to continue from that story. But as we focus this month on relationships, right, relationships are a big part of how we live our lives. And obviously, kind of a little throw in there, Valentine's Day is in the middle of the month. and We just came out of marriage retreat, which was awesome. But not even just our marriages, but our friendships, uh, how we uh, greet and, and fellowship with one another in the body of Christ. Relationships are important. And there was a lot of different topics I could choose in the Bible, but I may have spoken a little bit early last week when I said that uh, I'm going to continue this story, but it's amazing how when you study the Word of God, God reveals more and more to you. So as of now, I, I think I might have too many notes for today when last week I don't even know if I was going to have enough, but I want to recap a little bit of last week, and last week we talked about the loyalty of Jonathan, and we touched on two things. One was that as a loyal friend, Jonathan blessed David by building him up instead of he had an opportunity to tear him down. The Bible describes that after meeting David for the first time, first time they meet face to face, they create this close friendship between one another. And Jonathan in that moment, the Bible tells us he stripped himself of his robe and garment, even down to his girdle, and he, he turns over his sword and bow and, and uh, all these gifts over to David. And the symbolism, importance of this exchange were, were, was a huge for David because now the nation and even the court of King Saul, Jonathan's father, begins to look at David in a different light. Yes, David killed Goliath, but by being gifted and wearing this clothing that Prince Jonathan had given unto him, David is accepted in the eyes of the people. And so Saul, he becomes jealous but Jonathan does not become jealous, even though he is, at that time, heir to the throne. Instead of tearing down what many would see as a threat to his future, Jonathan built David up by blessing him. And so if we want to have better relationships, and this applies everywhere, we need to endeavor to build others up. We cannot tear one another down if we want our relationships to grow. And as the second point last week, we talked about as a loyal friend, Jonathan was willing to speak truth to David. 
And not just David, but speak truth to his father, King Saul. And he was willing to even reconcile the relationship that was mended between the two men. Jonathan was a loyal friend. He was loyal to God first, which we should always be loyal to God first. But he was loyal to David also and loyal to his father, King Saul. I believe when they first met, David noticed the hand of God on, I mean, Jonathan noticed the hand of God on David's life. And on the other hand, he also witnessed firsthand this backsliding of his father, King Saul. Over the years, he watched as God removed his hand off of his dad. And his father starts to become this arrogant and paranoid person to be around. When David's life is in danger, Jonathan warns him and tells him to hide while also ensuring that he would help his friend and confront the danger which was against David, which was coming from his own father. He was honest to his friend, and he wasn't willing to withhold the truth from him. Even if that truth would have benefited Jonathan in the end, he still didn't withhold the truth from his friend. And as far as relationships go, many times, this is a hard kind of point, but many times we must be willing to tell the truth to those who don't want to hear it but need to hear it. It's hard sometimes to tell someone the truth when they don't want to hear it, but we know it's for their good to hear it. But on the flip side of that, we must be willing to listen when someone else is telling us the truth and be willing to accept it the other way around. Even though Saul was king, Jonathan was willing to confront him from sinning and killing an innocent person. And as a result of that, Saul calls off at that particular time his manhunt for David, and they both come together at Jonathan's behest, and and they reconcile with one another. And so with that said, I want to go ahead and attempt to continue on with a part two of this lesson this morning. And if I can, I would like to perhaps shift the perspective of this story a little bit and maybe approach it from a different angle. And so you guys can stand up now if you want to for the reading of the word. And if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And I apologize already as we start this morning for the scatteredness of where this lesson is going to start. We're not going to read a lengthy portion of Scripture. It's only 11 verses, but we are going to jump around just a little bit in this story. So 1 Samuel 18, if you want to put your finger somewhere else, we're going to move forward to 1 Samuel 20 next. And then we're going to jump forward again to 1 Samuel 23, okay? And while you guys are getting ready, I do take again a moment to honor our pastor and first lady, Sister Staten, once more for being allowed to teach in front of you all this morning. I never take this opportunity lightly, and I got to give honor where it is due. And so I give it to them this morning. But 1 Samuel chapter 18, if you're there, would you say amen? It's going to be on the screen for those that aren't there. But we're going to read the first few verses here, and this is where we started last week, but we're just going to reiterate. It says, and it came to pass when he had made an end, this is David speaking to Saul, That the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more to his father's house. Saul took him, and now David is a part of the political arena of what it means to be in the kingdom that Saul was king over. Verse 3 says, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because, as we read earlier, Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So now we're going to skip ahead, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 20, two chapters later. We're going to read from verse 16 here. It says, So Jonathan 
made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan, in verse 17, calls David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And if you can skip a little bit more in in chapter 20 down to verse 41, it says, And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place towards the south, and he fell on his face to the ground, and he bowed himself three times. He does this in front of Jonathan. And they kissed one another and wept one with another. And David cries even more at this morning. At this point, says David exceeded. And Jonathan says to David, go in peace for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord be between me and thee and between my seed and thy seed forever. And David arises and departs. And Jonathan went into the city. And the last passage of scripture I want to read is in 1 Samuel chapter 23. In verse 15, it says, And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. He was in the woods. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose, and this time he goes to David. He went unto David in the wood, and he strengthened his hand in God. And verse 17 says, And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee, and that also my father knows this. In verse 18, the last verse we're going to read, And they too made a covenant before the Lord. And David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. Would you put your Bible down and lift a hand maybe and pray with me this morning? Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for what you're going to do in this house. God, as we focus on relationships this month, God, let us glean from your word. Let us glean, God, from this friendship between Jonathan and David, God, and help us to apply the principles that we read of in your word. I pray, God, would you challenge us one to another, God, to to better our relationships, to better our fellowship with one another, God, and help us, God, to grow as you would have us grow according to your standards in the word. In Jesus' name, I pray you may be seated this morning. And the title, if I would have to give one, I know last week we talked about the title was The Loyalty of David. This morning I want to talk about the covenant of friendship. The covenant of friendship. Promises. How many know we make a lot of promises, right? Promises are easy to make, and they're even easier to break. My son lets me know every time I break a promise. Dad, you said you was going to play the game with me. Dad, you said that two days ago that I could have two pieces of candy. Like, he doesn't let me forget the promises that I made unto him. Even if I don't remember making them myself, he, he reminds me. But oftentimes we get in trouble or people get themselves into trouble because they make promises that they cannot keep. God instituted a form of promise in the Bible that held a greater sway and the consequences to keeping this promise were severe if they were not kept. These promises are called covenants. And if you read throughout all of Scripture, 
the major events that we find in the Old Testament, from Noah to Abraham to David, these promises, these covenants have an effect that lasts even to the day we live in right now. These covenants were important for unlocking some of the Bible's most interesting passages and truths. How many know because of covenant, that's why we have the relationship with Jesus Christ that we have today? It's because of the covenant and the promise and the prophecy that Jesus fulfilled that we're able to have victory over sin. We're able to live exceeding and have an abundant life because of covenants. The most prominent ones were between God and man in Scripture. And though people did create their own ways of creating and enforcing covenants over time, people began to use them less and less. Though if there was any covenant today that most of us are common with, it's the covenant of marriage. Right? We, when you get married with one another, we say vows. We say things that we're, we're going to stay true to these things. And, and, and that's the covenant that we make in marriage. Understanding the nature of covenants as a sacred promise between individuals and humanity and even a covenant with God helps us to understand the Bible. It helps us to understand history and it helps us to understand how we can relate to one another but also to the Lord. And so what is a covenant? Webster tells us that a covenant is a treaty or it's an alliance, an allegiance. It's a league or an agreement we make between one another. It's, it's a pledge that we make and we pledge to keep. Covenants, if I were to break it down simply, it's loosely compared to a promise. But often there's a weight behind the promise. Many times we tie covenants to God because God is the one who instituted covenants. There are consequences for failing to uphold a covenant. And there are outlined responsibilities between the parties when covenants are made. Covenants are meant to be sacred and often take place, as I mentioned, between God and mankind or between individuals in the sight of God. That's why when you're married at an altar, right, we say God is our witness, right? Don't let, let no man separate what God has brought together. And so that's why we say in, in another way that a covenant resembles a contract between one another. And so originally, when covenants were made, they resembled a type of blood pact, if I could put it that way. Actually, the Hebrew word for covenant means to cut. You can go back into the Old Testament and study that. But many times when a covenant is made, it required a sacrifice of some sort or it required a gift to be given between the parties in order to seal that promise or seal that agreement. And so why is that important to us today? It's important for us to know because covenant, covenants provide the framework for how we understand how relationships are held together. As the story of even the Bible unfolds, we see that Yes, God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping and a covenant-fulfilling God. God establishes covenants with certain people, and these covenants are the way that God has revealed his redemptive plan to us. And in other words, covenants are the structure of a story. If you think about your closest relationships, many times those relationships are close because of the promises you kept to one another. And so that's how we can relate it to covenants with us. And as it is with God and man, we can better understand how to apply the covenants between us as individuals 
And so I want to explore this covenant that is mentioned between Jonathan and David. As we read earlier in our opening text, this word covenant appears three times. Once in 1 Samuel 18, another in 1 Samuel 20, and the third and last time in 1 Samuel 23. From the outside looking in, it might appear that these covenants are three different things. These covenants are three separate covenants. But it's really one covenant that both these men establish. And what happens each time the covenant is mentioned is that these, these two men are at different seasons of their life. They're at different seasons in their relationship with one another. And what's happening is that they are reaffirming the covenant that they made between one another. It's important to note, too, that in the case of the passages we read this morning, many times, even though we can see David's actions, they're written in the perspective of Jonathan. We're viewing it from kind of Jonathan's point of view. And we can certainly see that David takes this covenant seriously, but many times it's Jonathan's actions that are the focal point within this story. And so as I began to study this covenant and this story in detail and the context of what was happening during this time, each time we see the word covenant, again, Jonathan's actions are the focus. And so I want us to take a look at where it's first mentioned, and that's 1 Samuel 18 again. We'll read it one more time. It says, and it came to pass when David is speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan is knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loves him as his own soul. And verse 3 says, and Jonathan and David make a covenant. They make a promise to each other because, and this is from Jonathan's perspective, because Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And verse 4 says, we know Jonathan strips himself of the robe that he's wearing. He gives it to David and his garments, even his sword, his bow, and his girdle. And just like last week, after David is recapping this story between how he defeated the giant Goliath. With the help of the Lord, him and Jonathan developed this deep friendship, and we call it a covenant. As referenced at the beginning, again, in ancient times, covenants or contracts were sealed either by blood or by giving a gift. And so verse 4 adds context to this because the gift that Jonathan gives David is his own robe, his own sword, his own bow that he's a famous archer and uses. These are important things that Jonathan gives to David in order to seal the covenant and the promise that he is making unto his friend. And there were likely many reasons that this friendship formed so quickly. From Jonathan's perspective, we read about it here, but many theologians agree that the anointing of the Lord was, was likely the reason that they formed this fellowship so quickly. The successes that they had in battle might have been another reason why they got together so quickly and formed this covenant. But I believe that Jonathan felt the hand of God on David's life. As David is recalling his story, he's saying how it's in the name of the Lord is that how he attacked Goliath, right? And who in the world could kill a giant with a stone? It just doesn't make sense. And so we see Jonathan is like, man, you know what? I went through a similar experience. Me and my armor bearer, man, we... We were fighting the Philistines one day, and I went and fought the Philistines in the name of the Lord. And I believe it was the hand of God that Jonathan sees, which is the reason why they formed this, this friendship. And so if we look at verse 3 again, 
One more time, it says, and Jonathan and David made a covenant. And here's the part that sticks out to me. The reason why this covenant was made is because Jonathan loves him as he loves his own soul. The writer here in verse 3 gives us the foundation behind the covenant or why it was made in this relationship. It says, Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And that's a very particular wording or phrasing in the Bible. And as we see or as we have read already, this phrasing appears many times, right? It appears twice even in the passages we read in 1 Samuel 18. It appears again in 1 Samuel 20 when the covenant is brought up again. Why is Jonathan loving David as his own soul written with such importance in the Bible? When I first studied this story, I didn't really catch this at first. I'm just reading through it like anybody would. We like movies. We like entertainment. We like to read about the fun stories in the Bible. And a lot of times we glance through little details like this. But it's amazing how God begins to connect and reveal his word to us. I don't know if you've caught it yet, but this particular phrase that is used to describe the reason why this covenant is made is not a new concept in Scripture. As it pertains to relationships between God and between us, you and I, this wording of loving someone as your own soul is not a new thing. We see this in Deuteronomy, and also Jesus emphasizes this point in Matthew chapter 22. It's here in Matthew where Jesus established the importance of keeping God first in everything that we do and also the expectation that he has in how we're to treat one another. And in Matthew 22, the, uh, the Pharisees and everything are questioning Jesus. And they ask, her, they ask him, they say, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus says unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. But Jesus says the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as what? As thyself. On these two commandments, Jesus says, hang all the law and the prophets. We find the same is written back in Deuteronomy when, when, when God is communing with Moses and he tells his people the commandments of the Lord. He gives them the Ten Commandments. And we see this. And it's interesting in this story between Jonathan and David, where David, or I should say Jonathan, loves David as he loves his own soul. In the verse, God provided the framework, the framework for the most important foundation in any relationship, and that is selflessness. If we want our friendships and really any relationship, whether that's your marriage, whether that's a sibling relationship, whether that's even as brothers and sisters in Christ, if we want the relationship between one another to be healthy according to the word of God, according to Jesus' standards, then we must be willing to be selfless. We must be willing to love them just as much as we love ourselves. What does that mean to us? What does it mean to love someone to the same degree that you love yourself? Have you ever thought about that? What, is, what does that look like? I know how much I love me. I think, Pastor, when you talked to the men this week, you talked about even in leadership, we know ourselves, so it's hard to lead ourselves, right? We know how much we care about us. 
But how hard is it to care about someone else with the same passion you care about yourself, right? If we were to do that, how much better would our marriages be? How much better would the relationships between what we call best friends be, right? How much more would we not get offended at things if we were to treat someone other, someone with the same love we treat ourselves? And so what God is saying here is that in order for a relationship to be healthy, we must be willing to be selfless. We must not be willing to be as selfish as we are about our own self. And that means we got to be willing to give that person or serve that person or prefer that person even above our own self. And it's this basis when we look at the friendship between Jonathan and David that the foundation of their friendship is built at least from Jonathan's perspective, because Jonathan loves David as much as he loves his own soul. He was making a commitment to support David and to prefer his friend over himself, even in the kingdom of God, not just in the kingdom that they were building as a nation, but even in the kingdom of God. He was making a promise to David that he would always be there for him and that David can count on him. And so now I want to move forward to the next time we see this word covenant come up in the relationship between these two men. And that is 1 Samuel chapter 20. And if you've ever read this story of David or the story of what's taking place, I'm not sure how much time has passed between 1 Samuel chapter 18 and 1 Samuel chapter 20. The Bible doesn't give us. It could be years. It could be a couple of months. But Certainly, it's been an adventure, at least on David's end, from chapter uh, 18 to chapter 20. In that amount of time, King Saul has become crazy jealous of David's success. In that amount of time, David has put, been put through a trial in order to marry King Saul's daughter. He ends up fighting a, a, a band of Philistines, and the Bible talks about he has to kill a certain number of them and present a, a, a certain item before King Saul and, and just to be able to marry the daughter of Saul, Michal. Every battle that David fights in in this period of time, the Bible describes him as succeeding and being better than any other person in Saul's army, so much to the fact that he becomes more and more famous. And as we know in the story with him and King Saul, King Saul becomes more and more jealous of what David is accomplishing. And despite in, these, in between these two chapters, David's life is being uh, manhunted or he's, he's been almost assassinated multiple times, Jonathan still stands beside his friend and helps him to work out the issues between David and the king. And so when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 20, another attempt has been put on his life. And this time, his wife and, and sister to Jonathan, uh, Michal, helps David run from King Saul. And now David meets up with Jonathan, and I believe David is angry here. 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 1 says, And David fled from Nioth in Ramah, and he came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is mine iniquity, is what he says. What is my sin before your father that he is continuing to hunt me down? As I read this in the New Living Translation, you can kind of clearly see that David is upset at this point in time. He's like, what, what do I got to do, man? What, what have I done so much that this keeps happening to me? Because David is doing everything he can 
to be a willing and, and faithful servant to the king. Every action that Saul gives him to do, David is succeeding in it. Every time Saul gives him a task, David is doing it with everything he can. And clearly the hand of God is on David. We know that he's anointed to be the next king. But David's like, man, I'm doing everything I can right. But yet your father is still attacking me. He's still determined to kill me. Have you ever been, even with your friends, in an argument like that? Where you ask your friend, what have I done? Why is this happening to me? Anybody? Even with your best friends, you're like, why, why do you think this is happening? Why are we in this scuffle between one another? Because I didn't do anything to you, you didn't do anything to me, but this keeps happening. And believe it or not, I believe David is skeptical at this point because it's Jonathan's dad is the one that's fighting David, not Jonathan. It's Jonathan's dad. And I can picture here, David is, is running to Jonathan in Ramah, and he kicks his door open. He's like, yo, what have I done? Why are, is, is your dad after my life? It's not just once, it's not just twice, but it's repeatedly this is happening. How many know that even in our best relationships, we're going to have disagreements with one another? We're going to have conflict with one another. There are times, there are seasons in our life situations where we're going to fight with one another, even in our marriages. I know we just came out of marriage retreat, but it's a real thing. If you've been married for more than a day, something happens. Could be the toothpaste didn't get put in right. Could be you put the toilet paper, you either let the toilet paper be over or under. I don't know, right? But sometimes arguments just happen, right? Hello, can I get a witness? All right. I know I'm not by myself here. The best relationships we have, the ones that matter to us the most, are going to be tested. We're going to butt heads sometimes with one another. It's really, it's part of life. Even as children, you can put two kids in a room, right? My wife does daycare. Two kids in a room with 100 toys, they'll fight over the same toy. Like, there's toys over there, toys over here. They just, why do we get into these situation where we just butt heads. It's just human nature. But I believe in this moment, David is beyond hurt because he's like, yo, why, why is your dad attacking me? I'm married to your sister. You're my best friend. I haven't done anything wrong. And David is hurt because he's really accusing Jonathan of, are you really my friend or you're not my friend? Because if you were my friend, you wouldn't let your dad attack me, right? Who would still be friends with you know, I know there's times in our life, and it's funny as we look back on life, maybe the first time you're, you're dating your wife, but you can remember how her father treated you. Like, really? You didn't put in a good word with your dad? Like, what, what's going on here? Right? And I know as fathers, we just, I, I wait for the day someone comes to me about care. I'm like, hey, no siree. We're just going to have a disagreement. Just let's, let's, come to this, let's come to this the right way, right? But as, as the story continues in 1 Samuel chapter 20, really David and Jonathan are kind of having an argument back and forth between them. And for the sake of time this morning, I'm not going to read it all, but, but David is really, he's skeptical because he doesn't know if he can trust his friend anymore. How can I trust you when your family is the one that is attacking me? It's a valid question, right? How many of you would ask the same thing to Jonathan in this moment? I know that I would. In fact, 
I have asked the question to my greatest friends, like, I can't trust you because of what's taking place right now. The Bible describes that in order to fix the issue, they come up with a plan. Jonathan says he's going to confront his father, and he tells David to hide. And, and after he confronts his father, David is going to, I mean, Jonathan, sorry, in this story, is going to signal David on whether it's good to come back home or that David must flee for good. And it's in this moment that as Jonathan says, hey, I'm getting ready to, to go talk to my father about what's going on, it's in, it's in this moment when trust is, is in question that he reaffirms the covenant that he made with David. First Samuel chapter 20, it says in verse 16 again, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan causes David to swear again or recommit to the covenant that they made at the first time because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And that wording there, to swear again, it was to remember the covenant. Jonathan caused David to remember two chapters ago the covenant that they made. And sometimes we got to remind ourselves of the promises we made. I know it looks dark sometimes. Sometimes we make promises in the good times, but when the bad times come, we like to throw those promises to the side. But Jonathan is telling his friend, I know it looks bad right now, but let's remember where we started in this relationship as friends. And Jonathan is saying that Jonathan had to let his friend know in this moment that he was still committed to supporting David. And, and, and the more I read into this or, or read commentaries and even dug into the different translations that are written here, Jonathan is saying, if I am being dishonest with you, David, if I'm lying to you as your friend, then also understand that as far as this covenant goes, I'm also lying to God. He's telling David, don't just trust me, but also trust God in the covenant that we made between each other. He says, because if God in this, in this circumstance were to find Jonathan to be a liar, Jonathan is telling David, let God treat me just as your enemies have been treated. In other words, let God destroy me just as he has destroyed every enemy that you face, David. If I'm lying, let God take my life because I don't want to stand by you and lie to your face and, and, and be considered a liar. I want you to be able to trust me. If I don't keep my word to you, then God, let me be or let it be required just like the enemies of David. One of the most important aspects of any friendships is trust. To have a strong covenant friendship with somebody, we must trust that our friend or our companion has our best interest at heart. We must also be able to trust that our friends will keep any confidence that we share with them. How many hate when something gets out and you're like, man, I trusted you? We said this in confidence to one another, but now somebody else has found out. I didn't, I didn't say this. Somehow you trespassed against me because you didn't keep my confidence. And Jonathan is saying, hey, I'm keeping my word to you. You can trust me in this moment to really put the decision in, in David's hands because he, wasn't, he was saying, I'm not going to let you down, David, in my commitment that I've made. 
We live in a world that trust is, is so easily broken. People say they're going to do one thing, and then they do another thing. Albert Einstein is, is famous for saying, whoever is careless in truth in the small matters cannot be trusted in important matters. I don't know where this quote came from, but it says, don't trust everything you see. Even salt looks like sugar, right? Mm. Hello now. It don't taste the same. The result is not the same. So don't trust everything you see. We've all probably heard this one, and it's definitely true, but trust takes years to earn, seconds to break, and a lifetime to repair. Come on now. Trust is, is vital in our relationships. If you can't trust one another, then you become skeptical of everything they say and do. And even if they're being truthful, you just don't know if you can believe what they're saying because the trust has already been broken. It's time that we as men and women of God become trustworthy in our relationships. Being trustworthy is a quality that can be applied not just as brothers and sisters in Christ, but every relationship in our marriages, if trust is broken, it's, it's very hard to reconcile that. We can see that as I went through in the last lesson, the divorce rate in, in our country is, is through the roof because many times as spouses, it's hard to trust, especially when trust has been broken. But from best friends to parents and children, certainly in marriages and in our relationships when within or, or even in the church, if there was ever a time where as men and women of God, we must be trustworthy, that time is now. Because just trusting in, in our words isn't enough anymore. It really comes down as do your actions match your words? Because people are always watching. We live in a world that is skeptical of everything. The moment that you make a mistake, they are the first ones to point the finger. And we can't say something to one another as men and women in Christ and then do something different than what we have said. If we want our relationships to thrive and grow and be healthy, as God would have them be healthy, we must trust one another. We must also be willing to trust someone else. It's tough to trust when you've been let down so many times, but eventually you have to learn to trust. Because we aren't called to walk in this life alone, believe it or not. The more alone you are, the more weird people think you are, right? The more isolated you are, the more weird people look at you as. And the truth is, there's some truth to that. I know it's in a little bit of a different context, but, but God said to Adam, it's not good that you're alone. So that's why God created Eve. In order for us to have a relationship, even a covenant relationship like Jonathan and David had, then we must trust one another. Amen. I know this statement, and we've said it before, that trust is earned. It's not something that we freely give, right? And I will, again, say there's some truth to that. But trust is necessary in order for us to develop relationships to the point where they're like a covenant like Jonathan and David had. If we don't trust one another, then the potential for the relationships we have is so much lower than whether it being at a, such a higher level because we have the ability or, or we're willing to even trust in that other person. The Bible goes on in this story. The Bible describes that Jonathan does keep his word to his friend. He confronts his father. 
And in the ensuing conversation with his dad about his dad's uh, manhunt over David, Jonathan is disgraced in front of the whole court of his father to the point where his own father tries to kill him or at least injure him or maim him. 1 Samuel 20 and 33 tells us that Saul, while Jonathan is confronting him over this issue, Saul throws a javelin at his own son to smite him. And that's when Jonathan knows that his father is determined, no matter how much I try to change his mind, to slay David. So now Jonathan goes out to where David is hiding. And the message he gets to David is one where he tells David that he's not safe anymore. They came to this agreement that Jonathan was going to go out and practice like he's shooting arrows. The Bible tells us that he goes with this lad who is with him. And as the lad goes to collect the arrows that, that Jonathan shoots, he speaks loud enough for David to hear when he's, when he's talking to the lad. So the lad doesn't know what's going on, but David understands the signal. He tells his lad to go out further, hurry, don't wait to get the arrows. And that's the message to David that my father is going to kill, is going to kill you. <laughs> it's all right, Pastor. <laughs> that was the signal to let David know that his life was really in danger and that it wasn't safe for him to be in the kingdom anymore. 1 Samuel 20 and verse 41 tells us after the signal is given, right, as soon as the lad is gone, David comes out from his hiding place and he bows himself in front of his friend Jonathan three times. And they have this moment together where they realize, hey, we're going to have to be separate from one another. I know you're my best friend, but now your life is going to be one of exile while I must remain here. In verse 42, Jonathan says to David, go in peace for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord. This is him reminding David of the covenant. The Lord is between me and thee and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed. David is now in exile and Jonathan remains in the city. This is a turning point in their friendship because as they reaffirm the covenant, they vow to, to support one another, even though they must part ways. Jonathan tells David, no matter what we go through, we're going to have to trust in the Lord. And we're going to have to support one another from afar as servants of the Lord. A couple other points of this story as I'm rushing to a close this morning that I found, and I'm just going to highlight real quick, is that a covenant relationship is based on mutual respect. Another vital aspect is that we must respect one another. For our friendships to thrive, both parties must be willing to respect the other party. That means we must value one another's opinions. We must listen to one another's concerns. And we must honor one another's boundaries. I know that last part is maybe a little hard to dig in, but we must honor the boundaries as friends to one another. Because Jonathan is saying to David here, I would love to go with you, but I can't. So you're going to have to honor this boundary at this time. I would love to be in exile with you, David, but in this point in time, I, I can't. I know my father has done you wrong, but as loyal to God, I, I, I'm loyal to you, but I, I, as a son, I'm still loyal to my dad too. And so I got to take care of my family and make sure that someone is still watching your back from afar. And so you're going to have to honor the boundary that, that is going to have to come up at this time. 
When we respect our friends, we show them that we value their thoughts, we value their feelings, we also value what they have experienced. We're also sending the message that we're willing to put their needs above our own, even if we don't like it, even if it hurts us. I'm sure they would have loved to remain close to one another as friends, but, but, but the opportunity just didn't allow them to. And so, you know, there's no need to fight this, David. We're going to have to trust that God is going to see this thing through. This is the kind of mutual respect that builds in biblical friendships like the example between Jonathan and David. In addition to mutual respect, I would also add that covenant friendships or covenant relationships are two-way streets. Have you ever felt like you're the only one putting in effort in a relationship or in a friendship? That the relationship is one-sided, right? I'm doing my part, but you're not doing your part. If so, you're not alone in believing that. We've all faced, faced that. Many people have experienced one-sided friendships where they feel like they're the only ones putting in the effort. Now, I'm sure at this point, David, probably in this relationship, he's the only one getting attacked. He's the only one having to fight the battles that are, that are faced in his life. Where was Jonathan when Saul's trying to cook up this plan to kill David? We know that Jonathan did speak up for David in instances, but David's probably saying, this is repeatedly happening to me. Why aren't you facing the same thing? But we see that this relationship is a two-way street because Saul, I mean, Jonathan is willing to confront his father even when he has to put his own life at stake to have a javelin thrown at him. There's a two-way, they're both having to experience risk in order to keep the covenant that they made with one another. So surely it's not as one-sided as it appears. When David is fleeing from Saul, Jonathan also participates by helping him escape to the extent that he becomes a disgrace in the eyes of his father. These small acts of communication and planning kept their friendship alive even when they were separated. And as maybe a sub-point to that is if we want our covenant friendships to stand the test of time, we must be intentional about nurturing those relationships. We must be intentional about supporting one another. And that means sometimes we got to go out of our way to support that person. The last time that we see this covenant mentioned is in 1 Samuel chapter 23. And again, a period of time has passed between chapter 20 and chapter 23. David has been in exile this whole time. He's gone through much at this point and he will face even more in the future from this point on. Certainly, he has come to what many would agree as a low point in his life. In fact, in chapter 22, a man named Doeg kills the priest of the Lord on behalf of those priests helping David while he's on the run, all because of King Saul's attack against David. Jonathan, at this point, though, is still a leader in his father, King Saul's army. He's still off fighting the Philistines and battling the enemies of Israel. But Jonathan is also keeping his friendship with David He's living for God and taking care of his family that he's built at this time. And so Jonathan hears that his friend David is in Kalea, the city. And David's also battling the enemies of Israel. He's fighting against the Philistines. And so while his friend is in exile, Jonathan runs for one last time to meet him. The Bible tells us after this point in time, they never meet each other again. 1 Samuel chapter 25, David saw that Saul was to come out and seek his life in verse 15. David is in the wilderness in Ziph. He's in the woods. 
Jonathan saw son arose and he went to David in the wood. The Bible says he strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, fear not for the Lord or for the hand of my father Saul shall not find thee. And you will, David, be king over Israel. And even as you're going to be king, I am still going to be next to you. I'm still committed to supporting you. Yes, I'm the heir, but I have handed over that privilege unto you. And my father understands where I stand in this, in this matter. And so verse 18, they reaffirm the covenant that they made all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And David goes back to being in exile and Jonathan goes back to his house. We see here that this conversation between these men isn't a long one. But their commitment to support one another is renewed and their covenant is cemented once again. And Jonathan's message to his friend is a simple one. It is a message of encouragement. That everything that David finds or everything that David needs, he can find it in God. I believe that Jonathan knew or at least believed that God would work out a situation in David's life. He tells David not to fear and that what God promised David that he would do, it would come to pass. And that his support would always be with his friend. And that even the enemies of David know that God is with him. No matter how much Jonathan wanted to change things, he couldn't kill his own father. That would be blasphemy. That would be an act that, that he just couldn't commit. He couldn't even oppose his father, even though he's supporting David from afar. In many ways, his father's wrath against David, Jonathan is saying, David, is out of my control at this point in time. I've done everything I can do. And so now, David, as a form of cementing this covenant, understand everything as a friend that I'm telling you. I'm here to encourage you that everything you need in this point forward, you must find your strength in the Lord. He's encouraging him. I know tough times are ahead, but you must trust in God. God has not left you in this time. God has not abandoned you. Even though we have this long distance relationship as friends, God is still in the midst of the covenant we've made between each other. And so in conclusion this morning, in every relationship, we must or we need to encourage one another, not in ourselves, but we need to encourage each other in the Lord. We need to point out that God is the one who supplies our needs. As much as I want to supply your need, Jonathan's telling David, I can't do it. And so the only way you'll find that need being fulfilled is that you must trust in God and you must rest in God. If we put our hope in anything other than God, then we're going to find ourselves lacking in those areas. And this is how we build relationships that last. In our lowest moments, we must be willing to encourage one another that you can make it. You will make it. But you will only get so far if you trust in your own ability. It's not by my might nor by power, but by God's spirit. That's what we must trust in. Tough times are going to come, but that is when we have to pick one another up and find strength in God. The last point that I want to make is that covenant friendships like the one we find in Jonathan and David are the friendships and relationships that last and prosper the most. I mentioned that the moment in 1 Samuel 23 is the last time that Jonathan and David meet. If you follow each person's story from that point forward, we see that despite being friends, each of them 
find a different end to their story, but they still keep the covenant. Jonathan continues to serve the Lord and remain loyal to God while also remaining loyal to David and even loyal as a son to his father, despite the relationship that has built between them. In fact, when Jonathan dies, Jonathan dies in support of his father, the king. He dies in battle against the Philistines, fighting against the armies of the Lord. Because God commanded Saul and commanded really the kingdom of Israel that they were meant to drive out the inhabitants of the land. And we find Jonathan doing his duty. David, however, he finds a different route. He remembers the kindness of his friend and likely the mentor. Jonathan is much older than David in this story. From what I read in scripture, David keeps his covenant with Jonathan. Despite being attacked by Saul, David never lays a hand on Saul. Despite even warning probably to retaliate in anger against what his father's his friend's father is doing to him, the time where, John, where David has an opportunity to kill Saul, he doesn't do it. There's times where Saul is laying in a cave when he's chasing David, and David has a chance to kill Saul in that moment, but all he does is cut off a piece of Saul's garment. In another instant, he takes Saul's spear, but he feels conviction about even the moment that he feels like he should do these things in retaliation, the conviction of God. The covenant that he makes to his friend is probably brought to his attention. And he's like, I can't lay my hand on the anointed king that's the king of this land. I, I can't do it. Not only would I go against God, but I would also break the covenant that I made with my friend. And later on, when he does ascend to become king, the Bible tells us that he remembers the covenant and he gets to find Mephibosheth, who is Jonathan's son. And he brings Jonathan's son back to the kingdom and he gives Jonathan's son a seat at his table. When many people would claim that David should destroy any, anyone that could be a threat to his throne, the Bible says in keeping his promise to his friend, he brings that threat into his household and even nurtures a relationship with him. You guys can stand as we close this morning. I hope there's something in this story and covenant between Jonathan and David that we all can find something where we can begin to apply it in our relationships with one another. Maybe it's a reminder that we must obey the second commandment just as much as the first, that we're to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves, right? Jonathan loved David as much as he loved his own soul, that we must support one another and, and care for one another, even if it means we got to take a backseat in order for them to be lifted. Maybe it's the importance of trust and respect in our relationships because we must be people of character. This world is looking at us, church. They're looking at our relationships with one another, and they're looking, are we really respecting one another? Are we really trusting one another? Or are we just like everybody else in the world? Are we, are we just like everyone else, or are we acting in, in manner that God approves of? Maybe it's the loyalty that Jonathan had that stands out to you in this story. Not just to God, but even in the middle of the turmoil going on, he can still remain loyal to his friend and his king. Maybe it's that we need to be encouragers and that relationships take work. How many know relationships take work? You've been married for more than one day. A relationship takes work. Maybe that toilet paper that was on the opposite side probably has gotten to you. You got to work out that. It's really not that important in the grand scheme of things. So you got to work at that. Or maybe you just need encouragement this morning. 
all right? We know that when we look at this covenant between Jonathan and David, hopefully you can apply one of these principles to your relationships, right? We will not only grow closer to God when we begin to apply these things, but we'll also experience the deep satisfaction that comes from being a part of something that's bigger than ourselves if we can begin to apply some of these principles. Let's bow our head as we close this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, challenge us, Lord. God, uh, provoke us, Lord, to have better relationships one to another, God. I know relationships take work. God, I know... Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait.